had the experience here recently of going through some historical documents and uh, just combing through some things that were uh, old, old statements, um, old meeting minutes, some old paperwork, discussions that were really, really important in 1992, but that nobody had really thought of since then. And so I was kind of struck with, like, this could be really, really interesting, but it's just not. It's, it's a history, yes, um, but maybe it's not something that I'm particularly interested in. But, but I have the thought, like, imagine if you're going through some old paperwork, some old boxes, uh, hypothetically digging through an old attic and found some letters from your great-grandparents when they were still dating. And before, before they had any idea that they would be married, before they had any idea that they would have children, that their children would have children, and those children would be you, and that you would then be finding this letter in an old box somewhere, like, they were just people living their lives and writing letters to one another. Like, that's history, but isn't it a little bit more interesting than some old meeting minutes from 1992 about something that nobody really remembers? Isn't that, isn't that a little bit more interesting? This morning, we're going to begin a new series, and um, as we look at the first couple of verses of this book of, this, of the Bible, I want it to stand out to you that we have opened an old letter, and it's a letter about and to people that are not us. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a conversation that's happening in real time, but we're reading somebody else's mail. Sometimes when we open up the the Bible, we think, like, this is something that dropped out of heaven with no human input, that there were no people involved with it, and uh, it's, it's just, we just kind of try to treat it like this spiritual book that's going to have some kind of magical effect on us. Um, but I like for as we open up to the book of Philippians, um, to see, as we read these first couple of verses, that we're reading somebody else's mail. It's a conversation that was happening that we're not a part of. And so as parties that are separate from it, we've kind of got to do a little bit of detective work. We've got to read a little bit in between the lines and try to understand what's happening. But I don't want it to be like things, old, old dusty meeting minutes about decisions that were made that had no impact on us really. I want us to look at it as though this is our, our great-grandparents in their, in their engagement. Uh, some kind of historical historical family tie that though they knew there was a possibility for people to come after them, um, by and large, they were just doing the best that they could with the time that they had. So that's what I'd like to do is we open up to the letter of Philippians. It's on page 1221, 1221, 1221 on the blue Bibles that are either on the chair, under the chair in front of you or under your seat or one beside you. Page 1221 in these blue Bibles, you can navigate to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. And as I see that we're getting there, I'm just going to pause uh, and pray. And invite you to pray together with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read in, in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pause there just to highlight again. Like we're opening up somebody else's mail. Uh, where we would say to so-and-so and so, we'd put the to address first. They tended to put the from address first. This is from Paul and Timothy. Um, Paul is the one who's really given the content, but Timothy also is probably, they're either writing it down for him or they're, they're sending it together. Paul and Timothy, and they are servants of Jesus Christ, and they're sending it to, the letter is to, all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi. Uh, Philippi is that little podunk city that happened to be the site of a great military battle that then became a Roman colony. So their, their recent history is going from uh, nothing, backroads kind of farming community, to suddenly being a metropolis with a bunch of people coming in, um, new people moving in all the time, people with different ways of life, and it, be, and it started, started rural and became urban. And so there's a lot of difficulties like that. I talked, uh, I talked with a, a, an older fellow who's no longer with us, um, but he was telling me this story just a number of years ago that when he moved here, Route 200 was a dirt road. The Route 200, which is on the other side of town, now is a four-lane mega highway just lined with, with all of these kinds of different uh, shopping malls and uh, car dealerships and big communities. But when he moved here, not you know 50 years ago, it was a dirt road, and there wasn't much out there. So I wonder if perhaps uh, there's something for our community to learn from this one. Grace to you, in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pause there. He's, we're opening up this letter. This letter is written to other people. Um, but there's a couple things that I want to, want to, um, to point out to you. We hear the story about um, how Paul came to meet the, the church in Philippi. He didn't just meet the church in Philippi. He, uh, got, he was instrumental in God starting it. Um, am I just on this microphone? It sounds like it turns off when I walk away. It's fine. I just don't want to walk away if that's my mic. <laughs> I'll sit down. <clears throat> so in Acts chapter 16 um, is kind of interesting because remember in our studies of Acts um, in our Abide series, the, the Spirit gave the prophecy that, 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 excuse me, not the Spirit. Jesus said that we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, by and large, the chapters that we had focused on up through chapter 9 were Judea, Samaria, and um, Jerusalem. They were all right there around that Jewish center of Jerusalem. Um, and it took a while for them to realize this isn't just a message for people with a Jewish background. This is actually a message for anybody who would come. And Paul, uh, we met as Saul last week, actually, 
um, was instrumental in that. And in chapter 15, they had this, this, they had this long conversation about, well, is, is the Jewish Messiah just for the Jewish people or is the Jewish Messiah for all the world? Which is a question we take for granted now because I think most of us come from a Gentile background. We don't have Jewish ancestry. Um, and we're all sitting here in church. So we must think that, yeah, it, it applies to Gentiles. But it was a question early on. They weren't quite sure. He's a Jewish Messiah. He's the one that came to save us. What about them? And the Spirit through the story of Acts shows us, like, yeah, no, Jesus came for everybody. And in Acts 15, they have a conversation where they say, yes, absolutely, the Messiah is not just for the Jewish nation. He's the Messiah for everybody. He can offer salvation to anyone that he wants to. And in Acts chapter 16, Saul, who's become Paul, goes out, and the first city that he comes to is Philippi. This is the first Gentile city, the first city in Europe that the gospel would be proclaimed to. And as he walks in, he, he meets some people that are uh, praying by the river, and they come to follow Jesus, and he's excited, and he's preaching in the city, he's preaching to the Jews first, but they don't really want anything to do with him, and there's a big ruckus, and he gets arrested, and he gets beaten, and he gets thrown in jail, and when he gets thrown in jail, he does what all of us would do when we get thrown in jail for preaching what's true. He starts singing, and praising God, and being happy. Um, I don't know about you, that's not my first reaction. I'd be pretty bummed <laughs> initially. Uh, hungry for sure, and I don't do well when I'm hungry. Um, like, he's singing, and as they're singing, there's an earthquake, and the doors all fly open. And the guy who was in charge of the jail looks out and sees that all of the doors of the prison are open. He says, well, that's my job. If, if my whole job is to keep these people under lock and key, and now all the doors are open, I have failed. And if I don't kill myself, they're going to kill me. So I might as well just go ahead and do it now. And Paul calls out and says, hey, you don't need to kill yourself. We're all still sitting in here. We haven't gone anywhere. Yeah, we could have escaped, but we've chosen not to. And then he leads the jailer to Jesus. And he begins to follow Jesus. So that's kind of the story of what's happening in the church in Philippi. It's been a time since he's been, aw been away from them. And he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Every time you come to mind, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Do you notice the number of, of um, universal statements in that short verse? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all. That's four in one sentence. He's, he's trying to cover his bases, which we could think is just kind of uh, enthusiastic. But I wonder, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I wonder if there's some people who might think, yeah, he's praying for the church, but he's not praying for me. Like me and Paul didn't necessarily see eye to eye. We got on each other's nerves. And, and uh, I like Paul, but I'm kind of glad he's away from here. Have you ever had a church relationship that went sour? hypothetical <laughs> maybe Paul did too and so as he's writing back to these folks he is emphatic I am praying for every single one of you this isn't I'm not just picking favorites I've greeted the overseers and the deacons there in verse one I'm not just talking about church leadership it's not just that I'm invested in y'all as an idea I'm invested in each of you personally hear my heart and when I pray for you when I remember you I remember you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now 
I am, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, look, you guys have been working with me. I came, I came to proclaim something to you, and it wasn't just that you guys sat back and said, yeah, that sounds good, like tell us more, and you sat back in your, in your cushy chairs and just kind of soaked it all in. You got dirty with me. You picked up the paintbrush. You started telling other people. Like the gospel went out in your city and it was effective in your city because you labored with me. And I thank God for your partnership from the first day even until now. This is something that we have been doing together. I'm thankful for that. And I'm confident in Jesus that the work that he started in you, he's going to finish. You know how, You know what that is? That's a real nice way to say you ain't done yet. You're, you're not quite there. But I'm confident. I'm not confident in you. I'm not confident in your ability to like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and to do better. You're not confident in your ability to, to stop cursing on your own or whatever it is that the Spirit is leading you. Like I'm confident in Jesus that the work that he started in your heart, he's not finished yet. And he's going to finish it. He's not just going to take it another step. He is going to finish it. And so when I think of you, I thank God for you. Not that I'm thanking God that we're apart. I'm thanking God with joy that we're in this together. So we're reading somebody else's mail. It's a little bit weird. But I want you to hear the heart. There's something that echoes in this, this care, this tender care for the congregation that I don't know that I see modeled a ton. But I think it's something that the Spirit wants to do in His church. We read in Psalm 138.8, the last verse of that psalm, that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. I am confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So, are we grateful for those that Jesus has partnered us with? Like when, when it comes down to it. When we think about church, or we think about the people in our group, or we think about the other Christians that we're around, or, are we thankful? Do we thank God for them and their partnership in the gospel? <clears throat> Let's level it up. <clears throat> are we grateful for all those Jesus has partnered us with? We have different gifts, and sometimes those gifts rub against one another. Sometimes we don't get along very well. Sometimes it's a spiritual thing. Sometimes it's a personality thing. Sometimes people just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. It's nothing spiritual about it. But are we grateful, joyously grateful for all those that God has partnered us with? Because here's our big idea. Starting off this series and starting off uh, this letter, no one can follow Jesus alone. 
when I think about when I think about Saul, I think about Paul, I think about a really brilliant guy, a gifted teacher, somebody who was intelligent, somebody who was committed, somebody who was strong, somebody who could uh, face persecution without wavering, without blinking. He just kept at it. He just kept at it. He just kept at it. But the thing that I'm intrigued by, even though that's the narrative, I want to make him a hero of the story. When he thinks about it, he's grateful for the people who have partnered with him in, it, in the labor. He says, yeah, I'm Paul, but so what? Like, if it wasn't for the Philippians, where would I be? If it wasn't for their continued support, if it wasn't for their continued work, like, would the gospel be, be sh- sharing fruit that it is in their city if it weren't for them? I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful that the Spirit has brought them along, and I am joyful when I think about them. No one can follow Jesus alone. We tend to think that if I, or I tend to think, maybe, maybe not you, but I tend to think like I could get this God thing straight. Like me and God, we can get on the same page. I can get my life together and then I can just go live on the top of a mountain and just forget about the rest of everything that's going on because it's a little bit crazy out there. Like sometimes I don't want to go out my front door. It's a little bit dangerous business. Sometimes I don't want to deal with what I hear on the news. Sometimes I don't want to hear, deal with what I hear my neighbor saying. And sometimes I don't want to deal with it. But the fact of the matter is no one can follow Jesus alone. The, the nature of the beast is that he takes us from death to life and in doing so binds us together as a team sport. Let's read in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. I'll just pause there. He says, look, it's right for me to feel this way about you guys because you, you also are partakers with me of grace. Paul's a teacher. He's, he's a pastor. He's a shepherd for these people. He started this church like he has gifts that he has used to try to build up the body. But he also knows that when it comes to the grace of Jesus, we are all partakers together. The table of grace is a round one. The only one who gets to sit at the head of the table of grace is Jesus Christ himself. And that's partnership in the gospel. In Acts 16, this guy comes and he, he shares this message of hope. He shares this message of life and they believe him. And then they watch him get arrested. And then they watch him get beaten. And uh, then they watch him get thrown into prison. And I don't know about you, but if I just started following somebody who gets arrested and beaten and thrown into prison, like, maybe I'm going to have my doubts. Maybe I'm not really sure that that's the guy I want to be following after. Maybe that's not the guy I want to model my life after. (laughs) But they hung fast with him. I wonder if it's their prior military experience. There uh, There were a lot of old soldiers that were retired there. They thought, no, once we're in this, we're in this together. I'm hanging with you. They continued to support Paul. They continued to follow Jesus. And Paul says, I'm grateful 
because I know that at the end of the day, we each only have a seat at the table by grace. I don't deserve it any more than you do. You don't deserve it any more than I do. The table of grace is a round one. And we partake together. So will we use our grace gifts to share the good news? Each of us is different. Each of us has received different gifts. Some of us have already received the gift of gray hair and wisdom. Some of us have received the gift of youth and vitality and like, we can do anything, like let's just do it. Sometimes those two gifts feel like they are at odds. And yet each of us has been given gifts to share the good news together. We're all in this together. We're all equal partakers of grace. Will we use our grace gifts to share the good news? Or will we say, I got a lot of wisdom and it is helping my life go great. Sorry about your luck. I'll just remind you that no one can follow Jesus alone. In verse 9, he prays for him. He's given thanks. Now he's praying for him. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Sometimes I get discouraged Sometimes I feel like God isn't moving fast enough or he's not doing the things that I want for him to do in me. And there's an exercise that I think is helpful to us in those times. And it is this. To be thankful and to pray for the growing faith of another person. when I get fixated on myself, when I get fixated on my issues, when I start to think about all the ways that I fail and I get discouraged, if I instead turn my attention to the work that I see God doing in another person, that's encouraging to me. I don't know why. I should be like competitive, like how come they get to grow more than me? But it doesn't work like that. When the Spirit, when we, when we turn our attention to the work that God's doing in somebody else and we begin to pray that God would continue to grow them and to grow, help them to grow, like that doesn't turn us into bitter, like, God, I wish you'd do more for me. That says, no, like, God, I see you're working. There's hope for me because I see you working with them. And some days I feel like there's not any hope for them, but like, I see it. I see And I continue to pray, God, would you keep working in them? Would you continue to let me see the work that you're doing? And Paul here prays specifically, I pray that your love may abound more and more, that you would grow in love. And here's a key that maybe our culture likes to forget. With knowledge and all discernment, so that you may may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
<clears throat> we tend to think of love as an absolute and like, like God is love. And so like we just have to do the loving thing. And so when we just fixate on, on what love is and like doing the loving thing, we may err and act in love without knowledge. You're like, well, what's the danger in that? Hypothetically, <clears throat> imagine with me that uh, you're on a date and you've been dating this person for a long time, like you like each other, you know, things are getting kind of serious and you pull a, a ring out of your pocket and you get down on one knee and you say, we'll, we'll say if, it was, if I was with Jesse, if I got down on one knee in front of Jesse and said, Stephanie, will you marry me? She's not in the room, so. <laughs> if I got down on one knee and said, Stephanie, will you marry me? I think I know the answer to that question because her name is not Stephanie. Love, genuine affection, without knowledge, is not going to go well. It's not going to be received well, and it's not going to be applied well. And there's a sense in which like, we think we can just go out and, and, and love everybody without any kind of discernment and without any kind of knowledge. And we think that if we do the thing that feels good, that gives us like the butterflies all the time, then everything's going to work out for us. But sometimes love is saying no to the thing that the person you love wants. Sometimes love is taking the keys of the car away because they're going to hurt themselves or other people. Sometimes love don't feel real good. And so if we're going to abound in love as we follow Jesus, we need to, that our, we need to express our love with knowledge and discernment. The two are not mutually exclusive. They're partners together. And to exercise knowledge without love can be Absolutely devastating. To tell somebody the, the right thing without any kind of love or without concern for who they are and who they are becoming, you can destroy a person. And if you try to express your love and affection for somebody without give, telling them what is true, you can destroy a person. You can give them license to do stuff that is going to kill them. And so as Paul turns his attention to pray for the, the growing faith, he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more. The love is the, the, the verb, it is the action. But your love is expressed with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And he's already seen this happen in them. He's already seen the Spirit do, them, do this in them. With him. He came and preached the gospel. They bought into it and then he got arrested. And they had, to, they had to discern and approve what was excellent in those times. And the Spirit led them to stay faithful to Jesus. So that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Our hope is forward. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory, of, glory and praise of God. So all of this, this love, it bears fruit. There are results. Reproducing results. That's what fruit is supposed to do. Love bears fruit, but it's not through our effort. And this is, 
feels like splitting hairs. It feels like some kind of religious, like, what is he actually talking about? I don't know how to say it, other than to say that the love does not come through our effort. The fruit of our love does not come through our effort, but it comes through Jesus Christ. It is something that he alone can do. So how do I know? <laughs> how do I know if the, if the fruit of my love, if I'm bearing fruit of my love, if it's, if it's coming through Jesus or if it's coming through me? Because those things, like, they could look like they're the same thing. Like, how do I know? Fruit is judged by who receives the glory and praise. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If the fruit of my love, the reproducing results of my love, bring all glory and praise to myself, and it stops with me, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) There are times where it will come back to you just so that you can continue to give it to God. Fruit is judged by who receives the glory and praise. So here's here's a question. Because we do increase in knowledge. We do learn things occasionally. For me, it comes harder and harder, it seems like. When we learn things, does our knowledge increase our love? The things that we learn, the things that we know, the things that we come to understand, does that help us like, get a better grasp of like me and how I do my thing? Or does it increase my love and how I can be helpful to other people? Because the love bears fruit. But it doesn't just come from us individually. It comes through Christ. And if we're going to follow Christ, we're going to need one another. Because no one can follow Jesus alone. Would you pray with me? We need you, God. (laughs) You are the one who breathes life into dead flesh. And God, if you're drawing our hearts to turn to you and to trust you for life, Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith to respond. And Lord, if we have your life, but we've been trying to make it work, isolated from other people and separated from what's going on in their lives, if we've been trying to protect ourselves, God, I pray that you and your spirit would lead us and bind us together. We want to follow you. We trust you. We have confidence in you. But there's sometimes where we just don't have confidence in the people that you have left us around. There's sometimes that the crazy on them looks worse than the crazy on us. And so, Lord, would you 
bear your fruit in our lives. Would you help our knowledge to lead to our love? And would our love abound more and more? Not just as we grin and bear it and try to do better, but because you are changing our hearts. Would you fill us with joy and remind us to be thankful for the people that you have surrounded us with? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.